Hello and welcome to the Screen Zone podcast where we discuss movies and games and all things geeky every once in a while whenever we find the time in our busy lives. But today is a special day. Today we're talking about a very big game that just came out recently and I have a very special guest with me here today, Rishi Alwani, who you might know from his other works, but if you don't, Rishi say hi and why don't you introduce yourself to some people who may not be familiar with you. Thanks thanks Rahul thanks for having me here. Uh my name is Rishi Alwani. I've been covering games for I think over half a decade at this point and before that I've been working in the games business in you know, on retail distribution and publishing. Uh and uh, I run my own newsletter on the games business at o- at 0451games.substack.com. Uh and I was fortunate enough to work with Rahul at IGN. He is a great person. You should follow him on Twitter @rahul. He didn't pay me to say that yet, at least. Yet, but yet, yeah. yeah. That that's gonna be an underhand uh, deal later on. <laughs> but yeah, thanks for that. And it's funny that this is the first time we're actually uh, like uh, doing something like this. Like we've worked together uh, on like on articles and stuff, but we haven't really done any videos or audio anything together. So, and this is a special game with Horizon Forbidden West. So I'm glad we're starting with this year. Yeah, I mean, uh Horizon's one of those rare games that manages to break through. Mm-hmm. Uh particularly from an India perspective because we're not a country that usually likes RPGs and it's funny that the only that the two major RPG successes in this country outside of The Witcher 3 have been uh Assassin's Creed and I say that with a huge asterisk and disclaimer because it's misleading as hell to use that brand to sell rpgs but hey that's happening <laughs> and uh, you have zero dawn and forbidden west which both have been tracking very well at retail so yeah yeah so like zero dawn i was a big fan of that game really liked it but it had some jank it had some issues but i think pretty much all of those have been resolved here with forbidden west this is pretty much a like a perfect sequel in my book in terms of how you improve all gameplay mechanics how you go deeper into the story into the characters all that stuff so but all of that aside like we all know that by now it's been a couple of weeks now we've all read the reviews uh so today we're here to actually go deeper and talk about some spoiler stuff spoiler territory today and this is stuff that no one uh, i didn't hear many people talk about during the review period even after uh, the reviews came out uh some deeper stuff some even gameplay mechanics which uh, which like sony didn't really market uh and we'll just get into that now so how was your initial experience with the game and then let's just get into it now so i think my play time when i finally checked it was around 26 hours and then i played an additional 3 4 hours after after seeing the title credit after seeing the end credits just to see what else was there uh and you know if i missed anything out anything major because there was a huge patch i mean there was a not huge there was a hmm. smaller i think a couple of gigabytes which showed up in terms of a patch uh after um personally i think it's what it did really well versus the first game if if you think of the first game as your introduction into this bizarre world of zero dawn uh the second game with the for, w- w- it really owns the title forbidden west yeah. because stuff gets dangerous stuff that stuff gets wild and what's really cool is that you get a sense of scale you get a sense of scale that i felt uh seemed missing uh in the first game the first game had you beeline from one uh, one area to another finishing off story points and moving to the next and 
uh, to me, what was really nice with the first game was its attention to detail with its lore, with its logs, uh, audio logs, dialogues, and, you know, the, the holograms and stuff you could see. The second game ups all that up really well, amps all that up really well. There's a good sense of uh, each place f- feels more unique, specific, and different. And they do a really good job of telling some great stories, even the even just to flesh out the world. So if you're a sucker for, you know, good storytelling, or at least a good yarn, you'll, you'll definitely find that while you explore uh, every nook and cranny of uh, Forbidden West. And to me, that was the, from a, from a pure story perspective, to me, that was one of the coolest things. From a gameplay side of things, I really liked the the Valor system. I thought that was a really nice addition to it. It it really layers uh, what were, in my opinion, really great core mechanics in the first game ex- exceptionally well. So, and yeah, the enemy design was top-notch. So, I think, like you said, right, it basically, it's all, to me, I wouldn't say it's the perfect sequel, but I would say it's close enough. Yeah, and the word you used there was scale, which I felt like this game kind of nailed, uh, both in its story, its design, its world. Uh, by the time I hit the first interlude, when uh, you revive Gaia and then you have to go out and get all these the subcomponents, uh, I felt like, okay, this is going to be very long. Like, this is going to be a really long game. And it kind of feels like that for a long time, even though the game is actually pretty short, like it, you can complete it under 30 hours, uh, roughly. But even until the last moment, it just feels like, yeah, this just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Uh, and that starts off with the uh, with the entire uh, plan, uh, with the entire introduction of the Far Zeniths, which is a completely new type of uh, uh, faction that the game introduces, which is a uh, which is an extension of the of the historical lore we found in the first game with uh, Zero Dawn, Project Zero Dawn, Ted Farrow, all that stuff. This is all. Uh, a splintering off of that. So what did you think of the Zeniths? So, yeah, for a bit of a background there, the Zeniths uh, in Zero Dawn uh, were essentially these uh, group of people who boarded this ship, I think, called the Odyssey and with the intention of uh, colonizing a new system uh, called the Sirius S-I-R-I-U-S, like it's yeah. Sirius Black and Harry Potter. Uh, they, 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 with the objective of doing that. And what you learn in uh, Zero Dawn is uh, they never made it. They crashed. But then uh, in Forbidden West, you you realize that the Zeniths are, well, let's just say intelligence plus 20 types, <laughs> like 200 IQ types people, because they, they not only screwed over their uh, their spokesperson by, by not giving him a, uh, a seat on the ship, but they also uh, faked the fact that they made it alive. And uh, they made it into that uh, solar system. They, they made it to Sirius, and they were there for a millennia. You find that out in Forbidden West, and and then the, what they do really well is they show these characters to be off as uh, nearly immortal, unkillable in a way. And I think that that just and that would make sense, right? Because uh, you have people who have the the knowledge of uh, of Earth of Earth and have been living for over a thousand years. And they come back. Mm-hmm. They're basically unkillable. They have they have like unbreakable shields, and they're pretty ruthless. But what strikes out really well is when you meet them. Is uh, they 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 have huge. Uh, they they use things called I think they're, they're called specters, which are these uh, yeah. advanced uh, robots to help them out. And they also have uh, in their in their employee a clone of Elizabeth Sobek called Beta. Mm-hmm. who's uh, this clone who they use to gain access to all of uh, the cauldrons and other areas within Zero Dawn's world because, you know, they're only available to to, to someone with Elizabeth Sobek's DNA. So 
you essentially meet them when when you uh, when you when you basically discover the proving grounds of the game's first major villain, Hades, the AI which went rogue and wanted to kill everything. Uh, and what was funny, what I found adorable is how Hades basically dies in this game, which is he had he had a very <laughs> adverse reaction when Silence, aka Zavala, aka the most badass voice actor in human history. Uh, shows him uh, pictures of bunnies chilling out in the wilderness, <laughs> and that 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 basically makes him cringe to death, which I thought was okay. The most, the, which is which to me actually made sense because you have this killer AI whose only thought is death, and basically the yeah. like to me Hades is is this universe's equivalent of uh, Mr. Smith, Agent Smith. Wow, and I'm like, yeah, you you really want to make him cry? You show him cute bunnies, and that that tears at his psyche. <laughs> So, so what was really cool was we so when you're in the Hades proving ground, you get what you you get the Gaia call you need. Boom, you meet uh, the Farzinets show up, and surprise, surprise, Silence knew about it, and he didn't tell you. So <laughs> you end up being cheesed off with him. You you barely survive your first meeting with these guys, and they're super OP, right? You can't harm mm-hmm. them. You get out by the skin of your teeth because you manage to create some sort of diversion, and. Uh, that's what I thought was really cool. The introduction of these characters uh, was done in a way that I felt uh, really up the stakes. So it isn't just about scale here. I mean, scale is one part of it, but they've also up the stakes because it's not just far the far zeniths you have to deal with. You also have to deal with the the ongoing civil war with the Ten Act. You also have to deal with well the fact that uh, the machines on 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 Earth right now are polluting uh, the environment instead of uh, bring, restoring the balance. So there are like th- uh, three yeah. or four points of conversion where, you know, in, in another, in, to sum it up, shit's gotten real. And they do a really <laughs> good job of it. I think uh, yeah. that to me was uh, a nice introduction to those characters because what's really nice with uh, with Forbidden West, and it's something very uh, few games manage to do is, or rather few IP, forget even games, let's just talk IP straight up, is you're able to tread that fine line between high fantasy or fantasy in a way, or even just like close to the reality mm-hmm. with the bones and with the bows and the arrows and stuff, and sci-fi, where you... See, I, I kind of always mm. uh, look at this franchise as a reverse Assassin's Creed in many ways, uh, where, but unlike Assassin's Creed where Ubisoft is... Sh- scared of uh, embracing the modern day storyline and the historical parts that's where they shelve off the f- the former mm. here they've managed to carve out a good balance between both of them where it it kind of makes you interested in both trying to learn about the old world the ancients how what they did all the technology there and then the tribal state of uh, of the current world that you're in- in- inhabiting in uh, and this game, I think this pushes uh, way more into sci-fi than I thought it would with the Zeniths, with Beta, with uh, the entire Gaia storyline. Because the first game, uh, when I think back on it, it feels like we're just scratching the surface with the first game where the big revelation at the end of that one is, oh, okay, I'm a clone of Elizabeth. But here we're pushing uh, that, like that. that's nothing compared to what we're doing with this game. And by the end of this game, my God, like this is... Like, forget all the tribal shit that we've been doing for now. <laughs> this just goes full-on war by the end of this. So, yeah, uh, I love the way... The amount of focus they're putting in on the sci-fi stuff. And they're not uh, afraid of uh, scaring off new players 
who might be thinking okay but i just want to fight robot dinosaurs i don't want to do any of this stuff but i think they they've hit a good balance there i think i i never thought of it from point of view being reverse mm-hmm. assassin's creed and i think that's a fascinating way of looking at it uh because i do believe that's now that more i think about it that's a very accurate representation of what they're trying to do here they like they yeah. like let's do it we don't care screw consistency screw tone let's let's do what's right for this universe right screw what people think and i mm-hmm. think it's the right approach and at least it works here because uh there's enough of story and and lot to immerse yourself in and at the and on the other extreme if you just want to you know slack off and kill a bunch of thunder jaws you can do that too so I think that was what what I what, what I really liked uh in, in the way they've treated the source material. They 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 don't think that they haven't tried dumbing it down. Oh no, how do we get new players in? Uhu. No. no, 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 <laughs> screw you. You play the first game and you come into this. I really like it. It's refreshing because to me it's a sign that uh they're not just it's 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 a sign that they're treating players with respect, right? Because when you've hit 20 million sales in zero dawn you can afford to say with forbidden west we we want to take it up a notch in terms of in terms of delivery of story it's a brave approach and it'll be fun to see yeah. how they how that goes on with the next game but to me in the way it ended it didn't feel like war but more like okay this is like summon the fellowship <laughs> summon the fellowship <laughs> send messengers everywhere let's uh, let's amp stuff up but uh, and i think it's a suitable cadence right from the first game like you said yeah. you 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 you're scratching the surface you're introduced you realize you're a clone of elizabeth sobet you realize that there's hades who's a killer ai that's one of the kill stuff you find a frenemy in in silence who wants to help you slash kill you in the same thing you realize that the karja mm-hmm. have their own issue with the shadow karja you realize that the nora are well uh, for the lack of a better term uh, i mean in a way kind of like hating on people for no reason like your own tribe hates you for most part of it <laughs> yeah. so you you're introduced to the world in a really cool way and to be honest they could have taken the sequel in another direction they could have taken it in a direction where hey just double down on the quote unquote lore of the of earth itself and then bring in other species or bring in other factions yeah. but they didn't do that i like the fact that they they gave you a suitable balance there they had the ten arc in their story arc which i thought was really cool particularly with how they built it up in the beginning when you find that the cousin of the sun king was actually taken hostage by the ten arc but then he really yeah. respects them and that cool dialogue you have with him on the border makes you really realize and gets you into the fact that hey uh you know th- there's a lot of intrigue to be fi- found locally also if you know where to look and i thought that was a really nice touch you know how many games are going to spend time me giving you like 10 minutes worth of dialogue from a from a minor character that gets killed off 5 minutes later <laughs> i thought that was really that was a nice touch and that actually helped lauren build build up the stake and make you understand what kind of a world you're in because as a player character you i mean you you're only going to be shown a certain amount of things right you, there's only so much you can cram into yeah. that, into audio logs and and uh, and other exploratory stuff the fact that they actually went ham with dialogue here i thought was really cool yeah yeah i i could i could never stop myself from uh, trying out the additional dialogues yeah because they give you just enough that if you don't care you can just go through like a little bit of dialogue and push through the story but there's so much lore that's hidden behind not hidden but there's so much lore and additional dialogues by all the npcs you meet uh, even the side quests which surprised me like the side quests in this game are really well done uh, from a storytelling perspective it's not just uh, like what others have pointed out which is the ubisoft style uh, oh uh, just go ahead kill these people and come back like the whole uh, there's that entire side quest with zo right with uh, the land gods yes 
which i really loved and the end of it i loved when when you heal all the land gods and then they also kind of chime in a uh, like they also rhyme in unison and then uh, zoos tribe is also basically taking it as a religious thing uh that's beautiful i mean i wouldn't have expected that from a side quest and there's so many more of those here. and i think what's interesting is these aren't just side quests these are quests that mm. genuinely genuinely impact the game world and to me that that's yeah. what i really like it's like okay they've they've thought they've thought of a way to plug this into everything in a way that matters you know uh and i, I and i agree yeah. with you there right that there's a there, there's a good way of putting that together and and making that work from a fact that oh it's not just a side quest for for cool loot or whatever it generally plugs back mm-hmm. into the game world it plugs back into the factions and it keeps everyone on an even keel and coming back to dialogue right there's some cool stuff like even at erin like even it's not just stuff you hear about erin and you know the, him being an osaram goof yeah. off it's also the stuff you hear from <laughs> other people like oh he try he yeah. he likes death metal because he heard it on the focus <laughs> he realized that our ancestors had something called the super bowl and they would drink up too <laughs> and i'm like okay cool this is a new perspective on things or like or like how uh, or, or like early on there was that whole thing between Vass and uh, sorry what is, what is that guy's name uh, Val Val yeah Val and Zo yeah. about uh, about veganism and then they threw in a joke there <laughs> also I'm like okay cool they this is a team this is a team that's got its A game it had it had me thinking okay like what what would happen if we didn't get Mass Effect three but we got a Mass Effect two point five. in terms of oh, wow. in terms of dialogue <laughs> in terms of dialogue yeah, yeah, yeah. in terms of upping up the banter in terms of building up you know these these small nuances that make you think that's at the back of your head and this mm-hmm. this game just does it right like even like even uh, when you when you're talking about the tenact in general or when you're talking about even how the karja are and how they would yeah. and how they how the relations between those those uh, factions work it just it's just such a lot of work to make it all come together in a way that matters Yeah, side note I love Kotalo. I love yeah. that character so much. <laughs> Kotalo is awesome and and he's awesome. And even other things, right? Like to me the the highlight of the game was uh, the Vegas area where you get Poseidon. And I'll and I'll tell you why. Um firstly finding you're literally looking for a like a needle in the middle of the desert where it start off start off with and when you just hit the right spot you find this tower from which what like it's an arid desert land where you know you you'll be like my kingdom for a red bull kind of situation and then you see this tower and then suddenly water comes out of it and you're like okay fine let's go exploring you find a bunch of osram explorers who have their own drama but when you go and you actually explore this place you 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 learn about a guy called stanley chen and he's apparently and he was one of the in the words of the zeniths the good ones and you learn about how he how he basically ran his water filtration business he went broke got or gambled whatever little he had left earned enough money to keep going uh, because he gambled and won and brought uh, vegas back to life uh, and after that he essentially uh, you know he couldn't find it in himself to switch off the lights completely on vegas he kept the generators on standby so whoever comes next can keep it running and and what's really cool is how that all plugs in as you know anecdotal stuff you keep reading but then what ties in really nicely is at the end of that quest the osram explorers find a way to put the power back on at vegas turn it into a huge sound and light spectacle and later on when you meet tilda who is one of the farzinets who defects to your side uh aloy asks her about stanley chen and she mentions oh yeah he's one of the good ones and uh, pity he didn't make it and yeah yeah that 
that Vegas mission uh, is the first time you get the the underwater breathing apparatus. Yes. And uh, that's one thing I think this game did fine until the very end. One thing I think should have come earlier was uh, uh, giving you these new tools, uh, which are not just uh, like which are coming throughout the throughout the structure of the story. Where you get the breathing apparatus, you get some new tools, and then at the end, of course, you you can finally fly mounts. Yeah. Uh, which uh, I was a little concerned about way back when the game was announced as cross-gen. I was like, I'm st- like, I know this game is really good. I really love it. But I'm still in the back of my head. Like, what if it was just full next-gen, you know? But we'll have to wait till Horizon 3. Uh, but they've expanded so much, uh, like, so much on all fronts, on land, water, and air by the end of the game. Uh, I just kind of wish the flying mechanic came a little earlier. Because I was staying away from all the marketing. Uh, I knew that there were some screenshots that Sony had released. Uh, but I wasn't looking at any of those. I was like, okay, if they're going to do the flying thing, I'm going to figure out in the old game itself. So that's a funny one. That's a funny yeah. one. Uh, because <laughs> the flying thing was uh, obviously uh, sorted in a way where uh, obvi- they kept it under wraps. Because prior to yeah. release... Uh, they uh, it was it was it was reported in a Brazilian PlayStation magazine, and uh, and what had happened is when they when it was reported there, some guy tweeted it. Those tweets were DMCA striked. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and the funny thing is because uh, with the first game, uh, so there was a Reddit rumor. I don't know if it's true or not, but. For a long time, there was a Reddit rumor that oh, Gorilla had said they couldn't do flying mounts because. PlayStation 4's hardware couldn't handle it. Something like that. Huh. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that's like the number one argument everyone made when Forbidden West was announced for like an entire year. Ki, oh, b- but this is cross-gen. We won't have flying mounts. Boo. <laughs> no, but I don't know. <laughs> and I, they did it. <laughs> yeah, they did it. And I don't know. I, I don't think it's a question of the tech. It's a question of yeah. the time usually. And come on, mm-hmm. man, uh, let's be honest here. 2016 versus 2022. You've had six years between releases. You're trying to tell me they're yeah. not going to find a way to make it work. They'll find a way to make it work. Because at yeah. the end of the day, what most people fail to realize is uh, first party does have secret sauce. And in mm-hmm. the secret sauce, the secret sauce is very simple, is that they have the time. You tell me which developer is going to take uh, so much time between releases. If this was on the Ubisoft, uh, I mean, outside of Take Two, I uh, you tell me anyone else. I can't think of anyone else who'd get develop give their developers so much time for the sequel. It doesn't happen. Like surprises me that the amount of power they're still tapping into the PS4 at this point. Uh, I mean, we're still seeing the cross-gen, uh, uh, the cross-gen time period. It's coming to an end slowly, but we still have like God of War, Ragnarok. We still have uh, some other g- big games, which are going to be cross-gen. And this game gives me hope that those games are not going to be held back a little bit by PS4. Uh, if anything, they're going to scale really well to PS5, where, uh, I mean, this games I played most of it on uh, performance mode. But even then, the 4K 30 mode is really good. Like, it's one of the few games where I was kind of switching between both modes every once in a while. That doesn't happen with me. I usually just stick with the 60 FPS mode. So, they've done really well. In my case, I stuck to uh, before I stuck to the 4K 30 for, I think, 75% of the game. Then I tried performance because usually in my experience, I find performance modes to be pretty crap. 
okay uh because they they're usually tearing or it, for some reason or other it's inconsistent frame rate like with elden ring right now that's my situation yeah. <laughs> inconsistent frame rate but uh here it was like okay wow they got this right uh mm-hmm. the, some people had issues with the pop in not me i thought it was fine mm. but uh yeah i do agree that there seems to be a better approach here in terms of uh respecting people who can who can't get their hands on a ps5 and it's nice to see right i mean it and to be fair it's not like other publishers couldn't have done this i mean if i recall correctly even towards the end of the 360s life cycle games like the original forza horizon and even forza horizon 2 and even halo 4 looked really really good yeah. on old hardware because they had the time they had the time yeah. they had the budgets so you know it's a question of being able to do that and whether it makes sense and i think for sony yes it makes sense because if you look at it from a numbers perspective you're looking at at least 100 million ps4s uh install base and if you're looking at ps5 yeah that's still growing probably going to it i think it's around 15 at 10 15 million yeah, something like that so so you'll want to make sure both audiences are taken care of uh and besides the i mean going a little just a little more on the business side of it is you don't want to you, it's not just about making stuff for the people on with new and shiny hardware if you have a 100 mm-hmm. mil audience you want they'll they'll want to buy too uh but that aside what was really cool here uh was also what they did with beta in my opinion mm-hmm. i think how they managed her character arc was a good was in a way a uh, kind of i mean it is kind of like an abridged version of what aloy had to go through in the yeah. first game yeah and i thought that was a really cool touch of how her image of how her uh, how she essentially came to the party So, yeah i was kind of uh, very like cautious when they introduced beta where because that could have gone wrong that that plot point could have gone wrong but i think they they handled it pretty well where by the end when she calls her that i'm going to go save my sister like yeah you feel it like yeah i i buy into that relationship at that point and uh, with beta of course like this was like uh, this was completely this full on spoiler territory at this point uh, but ashley birch has done a great job with uh, beta like i i couldn't tell uh, like at first i couldn't i thought they got some other voice actress but then i saw the credits no it's her only and she's a completely different tone completely different pitch with how she plays beta her performance her uh, body language her the way she uh, speaks uh, i love her i love beta and she's only going to get a bigger role in the third one at this point so yeah maybe playable who knows Oh god no. Uh I'll tell you I'll tell you why no. I'll explain to you why. Yeah. No. So firstly what was cool with Beta is for the for, for the first half of of her being around you really don't un- you really don't know if you can trust her. Yeah. And Aloy's attitude towards her just proves it. So yeah. I what is really nice from what Gorilla at least was able to do was make you feel that yeah uh the that your player character was was essentially mirroring your your thoughts that can you even trust this character mm-hmm. what if she turns heel on you what if she calls the Zenus this the new the new the crap out of you and then later on as you keep playing and you meet Tilda and and you 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 learn more about the Zenus you realize that yeah they're they're assholes they're scum of the earth and that is why <laughs> uh they can't even manage the, their own clones which which beat which essentially what beta was to the point where they towards the end till they even says she's the inferior version of elizabeth i don't want her why don't you come along with me and i'm like bro i'm like bro do you even like and then you wonder why the human race goes to hell yeah because of <laughs> lack of lack of compassion and shit and by that point in time you're like yeah you you're totally on in camp beta you're totally in like what the hell are you guys doing 
So I think uh, to me that that the way the character was handled was really cool. Uh, but why I don't think a playable beta would be a nice idea, at least in the third game, is because uh, it could work like those Mary Jane stealth sections. Yeah, yeah, I was just gonna Spider-Man. bring that up. Yep. But I don't think it would work as a full playable character simply because her skill set is more on uh, the computer side of things and yeah. the hacking side of things and the network side of things and inventing and building stuff. Mm-hmm. So I could see her coming in like maybe in a crafting or a hacking mini game, or maybe stealth sections and stuff. Or unless you know beta builds mechs to to to, to take down the threat in the next game, I don't know if that would work. But I think it's a good introduction to the cast because it gives you another perspective. And it also plays in very cool with the whole nurture versus nature theory where, you know, uh, you could have all the genes of the best people, but you could still be a complete a complete goofball because, you know, of how you of how you're taught. And I mean, we've had other games ex- also explore this, like, like Metal Gear Solid 1. But uh, I do believe that uh, the way it was treated here actually works. Yeah, and then Beta, like, uh, aside from her, we have uh, Regala, who also uh, plays foil to Aloy, and just wanted to touch on her. Uh, I feel like they could have done way more with her, like, she was very underutilized here. Uh, uh, Regala, like, you have a whole edition named the Regala edition of the game, which hasn't made it here yet, right? And... (laughs) Uh, I mean, uh, that was kind of weird where she was kind of built up by the game that, oh, she's going to be this big, uh, uh, like sort of an antagonist uh, uh, right beside the Zeniths. But uh, her story, like you you kind of start off with that when you enter the Forbidden West and then you kind of forget about her for a long time when you're dealing with Gaia and all that. And then almost at the very end, you come back to her storyline where I had almost forgotten that, okay, she's also mounting war on the... Uh, on on her tribe. <laughs> oh yeah, that was like a weird thing in the middle. I I do agree that she seemed a bit underutilized, mm-hmm. but I also believe it's a question of, uh, from the way I look at it, is it makes sense from the perspective of giving you multiple threads to care about. So while your primary objective is rebuilding Gaia's uh, sub functions by getting by getting Poseidon, by getting Demeter, by getting Aether, uh, it also does make you realize that hey you're doing all this and there's a war in the background too and how do you and how do you solve for that so in my head the way i resolved it in my head was okay i'm getting all these done then after that perhaps the next thing would be to sort her out and surprise surprise the the plot dovetails into that like when you're rescued by tilda and uh and when you're and when you're when when this extent of silence plan is brought to your attention where silent basically finesse regala into 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 you know be defeating the tenakh and taking the tenakh to to you know wage war against uh, the zenith while uh, and that was his plan while aloy was well you know trying to fix everything else so essentially it's it's a question of who's who thinks they're the king on the chessboard and well <laughs> turns out everyone pawned everyone so that's what i thought was really cool from that perspective from the perspective of who's manipulating who and where the intrigue actually is, I thought, okay, that was a good addition. Uh, I do feel, though, that they missed an opportunity for a proper redemption arc because Regala's portrayed as this super, super, super bloodthirsty, uh, wants war at all costs because her family, her brothers were killed by the Karja. So it's so it's a question of killing off all the Karja. But before that, before she can, you know, wage genocide on that, she needs to get rid of the current Tanakh leadership, which is Kotalo and Kotalo has his own ideas. So... 
I thought that towards the end you have that choice. So what happens is you get to you defeat her in combat, and you have the choice to spare or kill her. I spared her, yeah, same. because I wanted to see what would happen next in the character's arc mm-hmm. when you do that. So I spared her, and surprise, surprise, she joins you as you guys assault the Zenith base. But what I didn't like was uh, she dies anyway, trying to kill <laughs> off all the all the all the specters that are there. She, yeah. she gets zorgrushed by specters and said, "This is the glorious death I have craved." And I'm like, bro, so fucking one note, man. You guys could have done so much more with this character. And I and I'll and I'll tell you why the expectation is there. One, it's not just because they named a whole edition after her. It's if you look at Silence. Silence is a deplorable human being, but at the end of the day, he's what he's doing. In his mind, the ends justify the means. So mm-hmm. he might be deplorable. You might hate his guts. Aloy definitely does. I think he's a baller. I think he's like probably the best character in the entire series so far. And uh, I do believe that uh, you need character. You need a little depth in your characters, right? And they did that even well with Erend in the first game. You think he's this goofball, but then hey, there's a real dark story there because of how his sister died. Even mm-hmm. with uh, even even with like some of the other uh, side characters, right? You, you, who you like meet at the uh, the village in Chainscrape, and even the guy who runs Chainscrape, like the chef at Chainscrape, I thought was a really cool character too. To me, I just felt it was a lost opportunity from that perspective to just flesh that out a little better. Fine, you want to give the character a quote unquote hero's death, but make it justifiable, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> to me, I don't think they could justify it. It's just like, oh yeah, you know, she's the big bad, <laughs> and her story arcs end ends like this, getting so crushed. And I'm like, this could have been done in so many better ways. She could have been the person you fight just after Tilda. That would have been yeah. cool. I mean, I I saw that from a mile away that when you get that choice of either killing her or saving her, because I mean, uh, like the the thing that you said that you you would you might need to fight her if you spared her. That that's something I could see something like in something like a Witcher Three, where that game does stuff like that, where the choices are a little more uh, diverging. Here it feels like okay, fine. You can spare her, but you'll get some extra. You get an extra armor or something, no, or some tool, I guess. Uh, and if you kill her, you also get some kind of reward. But that's about it. Like it doesn't really affect the story that much. Yeah, that's the thing. I felt mm. that was kind of a missed opportunity. Yeah. But you know what was the biggest missed opportunity? <laughs> yeah, we're just gonna come to yeah. that. <laughs> Ted Farrow. <laughs> Ted Farrow, my friends, was <laughs> is the biggest steaming pile of disappointment in this great game. It's like this game is like ninety nine point nine nine percent there. Why is it not there? The zero point zero one percent, which is Ted Farrow, mm-hmm. and that entire arc, the payoff of that arc was so bad. Like Gorilla, why, why? And 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 this isn't the first time Gorilla's pulled nonsense like this. I will get to that soon. So. Essentially, what happens is so Ted Farrow, right, is the guy who's the reason Earth is in the shape it is. He had the, mm-hmm. he he was a mil, he was a billionaire several times over. He had his army of bots that were using that he was used to clean up uh, clean up the ozone and clean up bio waste and did, did all these cool things. But surprise, surprise, these bots uh, gained sentience and were eating and started eating sea life and well were basically consuming the entire planet. And that's why the that's why. And he turns out being the 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 <laughs> ultimate villain in the first game because you realize he kills off everyone from the Zero Dawn project by yeah. by well, because he had quote unquote Omega level access, which was higher than uh, than uh, Elizabeth Sobex's Alpha access. Mm-hmm. And by that time, Elizabeth Elizabeth Sobex already dead because she had to sort out one of the malfunctions at one of the vaults, and she had to go do that. And when she went out to do that, well, she died. 
So he basically went on a power trip after she died and he killed off everyone from Zero Dawn. And he also got rid of Apollo, which had the entire... Human the entire, database. Yeah, the human history and you yeah. know, to learn from mistakes, he got rid of that too. He's basically a psychopath. <laughs> and naturally, when you, when you play up such a character on the first game, all of this was, by the way, things you learned in the first game. And you, you naturally expect to hear more of him in the second game. And that does happen from a very... Uh, from a from a story perspective, you need uh, Pharaoh's Omega level access in order to trap Hephaestus, which is one of the AI subordinates of Gaia that basically creates all these war machines in the first place. So, in your attempt to do that, you find uh, this place in uh, LA called Pharaoh. Uh, no, I think San Francisco. Sorry, called uh, Phoebe's, Phoebe's, which is. Uh, which is basically his Egyptian-themed uh, underground vault. Yeah. And it's funny, right? Because it's called Pharaoh, and then there's <laughs> Phoebe's, except it's Pharaoh with an F.A. here. And, you know, it's it's damn wannabe Egyptian, but it's all <laughs> funny all the same. So what's really cool here is he essentially, uh, you go there, all right? Uh, and you're going there with another tribe, uh, with a new a new tribe faction you find. And the guy who's leading this tribe, tribe faction calls himself C- CEO. I mean, it's spelled CEO. C- it's, yeah, it's spelled CEO, but it's pronounced CEO. So you're going with him. He thinks he's the second coming of Pharaoh and how Pharaoh yeah. is the greatest person ever because they don't have all the information. They're a tribe of archivists who don't have all the information. Uh, they only have information up to like 2060 and Pharaoh's nonsense happened later. So 2060 or 2040. But bottom line is they don't have the nonsense of what Pharaoh did later. So... You go into this tomb, yeah, sorry, vault of uh, or this underground living facility of Pharaohs, and you start, and naturally you, you start going through all the logs. You find logs where he kills off his spiritual, his self-help guru. You find logs where uh, one by one all the members of his harem are being killed off too. And uh, you also then find out that uh, the guy who's keeping Pharaoh alive on, on anti-aging treatments and his daughter, they also die. Uh, rather, they, they they take a suicide, they do a suicide pact and kill themselves. At the end of it, the only person left alive in the grand halls of uh, Phoebe's is Ted Farrow. And what you also realize is in Phoebe's, there is a geothermal reactor underwater. And it's really simple for anyone to use. Now, Ted Farrow is being kept alive on anti-aging treatments. And the way it was working was the doctor had to... It was it was showing good results. The doctor claimed that the results were really good. But there was a question of mutations coming up. And he had to do whack-a-mole, essentially genetic whack-a-mole, to prevent more mutations from coming up. Uh, and however, at the same time, he noticed that Pharaoh had... And he was also culpable in, in Pharaoh killing off the others. And his daughter did find out, so which is why he committed suicide. But what you also realize is because of the now what the doctor essentially did was rig Faro up to the geothermal uh, generator, power generator, so he could stay alive. Now, the reason why Faro wanted to stay alive as long as possible is because he wanted to stay alive, in his words, for Elizabeth and the kids. Because people who come back to repopulate Earth and all will need advice and Mm -hmm. they will hear it from the great Ted who, you know, wanted to show himself as the savior of humanity. And in Ted's own, and in Pharaoh's own uh, greatness, he thought it was a good idea that to link his being alive to the entire stability of the of the geothermal generator. What that means is, if he dies, the generator is rigged to explode. Yeah. Now, when you and you read all of this, you figure all this out, 
and uh, as you go through Phoebe's, you you Phoebe's, you actually go up against killer pharaoh bots which you manage to kill. You see all this dialogue, you see all this lore and exposition, and when you finally get to the last room, all right, <laughs> you're about to enter this last room, but you're cut short because CEO and his buddies want to enter first, so they enter first. You hear some zombified shrieks of whatever pharaoh became. Uh, you see the CEO walking out in disgust and asking you. Asking Aloy, is that him? Aloy is like, yeah, and uh, he gets his guard to kill Pharaoh off. So Pharaoh's killed off screen. You don't even enter that room. Yeah, and I'm like, bro, what the <laughs> hell have you done, man? Like, what the yeah, hell? Yeah, I was really disappointed. I I generally thought we would have a like uh, at least give us a cut scene. Like, like forget a fight. Like at least let us see him. Like what? <laughs> yeah, to me that was like the worst payoff ever. Yeah, it's like you you had me hoping something would come off this, and then we just get, we just get like wrecked at the end. We got baited, man. It was just we got played. We got completely played, and, and I then, thought that was. And then CEO also dies in such a shameful fashion. <laughs> yeah, it seemed very Indiana Jones wannabe yeah. that entire section, and I'm like, guys, it's really now, and this is the full first time. See, in my case, it's at least this is the first time uh, gorillas pulled nonsense like this. Okay. They pull this stuff even with Killzone Two. Killzone Two at the end, uh, you you end up spoiler alert. Uh, one of the characters, Rico, kills kills Visari, and Visari was built up to be this really cool badass, mm-hmm. this the the this huge ass, you know, uh, <laughs> dictator slash leader of the Hellgast of the Hellgan and the Hellgast and this cool guy. And you, the entire game, your job was to apprehend him and bring him to justice. Yeah, and you and you and you get him right, and he and then he's they're like, oh, a lowly soldier has come to. He basically says, oh, a, a lowly soldier, a lieutenant has come to arrest the great Visari. So be it, and all. And as you're coughing him, your your partner basically shoots him dead. And I'm like, why? Like why? I mean, it made good. It made sense for the sequel, you know, because there was Killzone three. But in this case, I'm like, dude, why? <laughs> it, it was just. I felt it was just really, really really uncool and yeah. there was no payoff at all um i don't know why they would do that i just it think that, almost, yeah, I, I, it almost felt like cut content like they wanted to do something with him but uh, like i know this probably wasn't that but it felt like it like they they had something planned but then they had to cut it because of reasons i mean that's one way of looking at it that yeah mm. you cut it because of reasons uh, i can very well understand that and seeing that happen this must have been a compromise yeah but that's one way of looking at it, uh, and I think that's the most likely explanation. Yeah. However, if I'm to if I'm to think about it from the standpoint of let's say they had enough time in the world and enough limit and no limitations, then if if there was a reason for this to happen, I think it's a question of uh, moving the player focus forward. Mm-hmm. You know, like hey, there's a war. Hey, there's uh, there's going to be nemesis. Hey, there's going to be far zenith. Hey, there's going to be, uh, you know, getting Gaia back to to where it should be, and I think because of these those overarching reasons and objectives, this is a good way to shift your perspective away from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I mean, considering I finished the I finished Zero Dawn twice on PS4 and PC, I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I want my lore, bro. So <laughs> where I was coming from, I was still a little cheesed off. But I, if uh. if you look at it from their perspective. I do believe it's more like I don't personally I don't feel it's a limitation issue though it could mm-hmm. be the case but I'm more veer, I'm more geared towards this being a reason of uh, hey you had your fun you know enough of him 
move on to the next beat move on to the yeah. next part of the story move on to the next section of the story it's going to matter and if you look at if you zoom out right you look at the, you look at forbidden west as a whole uh it's essentially a very well laid out bridge of you're leaving the past of what's been happening behind and there's some cool stuff to worry about in the next game so when you look at it from that perspective this treatment makes sense uh in a way because you in a way if you think about it pharaoh represents all that was evil before yeah but the evil that is to come is going to be a lot more worth your time and energy so i do believe that's that's likely the approach they went with it mhm but that doesn't mean i won't feel shortchanged i still feel immensely shortchanged but i do understand why they would have gone in that direction yeah i mean let's move forward then uh so talking about the future we get to the end of the game and then we figure out that okay fine all this was nothing we have another threat coming called nemesis a very original name by the way and <laughs> so a huge monster ai alien whatever you want to call it that's coming to our earth and that's going to be probably the third game oh and also hephaestus is out there again so i have to catch him again <laughs> so i mean that uh, i knew that the, the story was not going to end up uh, uh, it was not going to be concluded in this game it uh, it felt like yeah there's going to be more but it it felt a little uh, like a last minute change uh, with the whole uh, nemesis thing that oh these people were fleeing uh, nemesis and they were not here to conquer earth. they were just here for a temporary amount of time uh th- that felt a little uh, i don't know rushed but it's weird to say that because by that point you've played played for like 30 hours it's weird i think it's not a question of it rushed but it's a question of how it was uh, a discovery to you yeah because if you notice you only find this you only find mentions of nemesis when you head to the zenith base yeah. which makes perfect sense uh and if you notice tilda's reasoning for the zenith coming here was uh, oh you know natural causes mm-hmm. the planet was actually unsustainable uh but no when you go through the logs you realize that nemesis was an ai cobbled together from all the memories of uh, almost everyone on Farzin uh, everyone yeah. on the serious system and the Farzinith indulged heavily in uh, in, uh, in uh, dabbled heavily in the possibility of human to ai uh, transferring consciousness yeah transference of consciousness and you end up with this uh, this project which you forgot to hit the permanent delete on and it came back knowing all your codes and everything and and you guys had really 5 hours before the entire planet was toast and now it's going it's coming after you because it hates you you make a stop on earth and you make a stop on earth to get uh gaia and all her sub components because you're going to flee to any random planet and make it habitable that's the logic now while that's uh, that makes sense uh i can understand why you'd say it's rushed but to me it just makes the timing and the reveal of this just makes enough sense uh, mm-hmm. because it all happens in the one part of the uh, in the one part of the game where you don't have access to at all yeah so if this was if if this is a discovery you make like midway through to a random cauldron then i would agree yeah that's that's really messed up mm-hmm. but the fact that it was done in this specific location which you only visit towards the end of the game yeah oh yeah I it's, think it's it's pure sequel bait <laughs> Which I'm fine uh, yeah, with. Which I'm fine with. Yeah, it's it's sequel bait that actually works in my opinion because mm-hmm. you're not uh, you're you're giving one a very formidable enemy. Yeah. And two, more importantly than just a formidable phone, the next game, you're you're giving a concrete reason to the Zenith's behavior, which was missing. 
because all this while all you know is oh okay op people with op shields who can't <laughs> be killed they're coming here to fuck our shit up but why aren't they going more and above they can easily hmm. enslave the entire planet in, in in like you know half a day yeah. but they're not doing that and then this is the reason why it makes sense from that perspective i do believe that nemesis as a whole is going to be a really fun thing when 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 the when the next game hits mm-hmm. uh but what i really also find interesting here is uh is how they handled tilda as well i think she was played by uh carrie carrie and moss, moss right? yeah yeah and she does a really good job of the character yeah yeah uh, seeing that it was carrie and moss i really thought she was not going to be in it to so much like i thought she was just just going to be like an extended cameo type of thing uh but yeah like she for the second half of the game she has a pretty big role and what's surprise what's interesting is how it is done it's done yeah. in a way where you where you actually have to where you actually care about the character yeah. and uh, you really don't understand her true intentions till the very end yeah. which i thought was really cool how they held cards back to that degree um the just that the way she, i think that the way she died was also hilarious <laughs> except the way that like she gets into her own mech uh, <laughs> called the specter prime and tries to and tries to break shit well surprise surprise that didn't work but what was fun was uh, her entire her entire thought process here which was oh i i messed up my chance with elizabeth hmm. you're a better version of her <laughs> come with me and let us repopulate another planet and i'm like uh hmm. there are that 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 just sounds very wrong and you're doing stuff for the wrong reasons very very wrong reasons and what is really what what is really nice though was the fact that you actually see the full extent of her true colors when she says oh yeah i rather i rather be with you aloy mm-hmm. than with beta because yeah. beta than with an inferior version yeah <laughs> and i'm like okay that that actually makes sense now that mm-hmm. this person is deranged and they do it in a in a good way they mm-hmm. they 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 really flesh out that character really well uh and they try giving you a little bait there because they show the broken uh, mech hull but they uh, they don't show the character itself which you know yeah opens up the possibility that she might be back. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I doubt that's going to be the case. And I think at the end of it that was uh, a pretty interesting arc all the same. Mhm. I really wanted to like online on social media I really wanted to talk more about and like share photos about the flying mechanic because it's so weird it's such a cool mechanic that a lot of people have been looking forward to since the first game came out that that was one of the things that a lot of people wanted. and then you finally get it and even then it's kind of a spoiler where it feels we are talking about it even though it's a in the end game it's such a huge mechanic like right now i'm not using uh, fast travel at all i'm just flying on my mount and it's it's great i think what's interesting with this one is uh, they give it to you i feel the reason mm-hmm. why they want to give it to you at the very end is because they want is they is is essentially for you know to give you a reason to explore the world when you're done Yeah. Oh yeah, think, that makes sense. I think that would be the logic. Mm-hmm. And uh, it also makes sense from a story perspective, right? Yeah, yeah. Because you get it at a time where uh essentially uh you need to stop the Tenakh war. Mhm. And you the best way to do it is with air power, quite literally. Yeah, yeah. So, I think the timing makes sense. It's just that yeah, I do believe if we got it halfway through the game, it would de- it would have derailed my entire playthrough. Oh, <laughs> for me, for me, yeah. Because then think about it, when you get it, it makes accessing tall necks so yeah, much easier. Yeah, that's a whole. That's the first thing you do after you get it is to ride that tall neck in the desert. 
that's why right mm. like it basically makes te- tall necks and everything so much easier and i felt that yeah. yeah that would just derail my entire playthrough i just i just i just go to every tall neck get that done <laughs> and get full coverage across the map but then i'm like no you know i'm just happy it came there uh but what's really cool is it just adds another level of accessibility and now mm. the beauty of it is because this was uh, something towards the end game that you find towards the end of the game when you find uh they can't actually uh, that means on the next game fingers crossed it's a given that you start off with this yeah 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 it has to so yeah i i think i agree that uh, and it's something sony did keep under wraps they tried very hard to keep it under wraps but i do think that uh i can see i can see the merit of it being done a little earlier but but i i guess like look at the end of it when you when you're ziplining from one installation to another to find and reboot ai this could have just been a distraction Yeah, it could have been. I mean, uh, there's so much of the world that's left to explore at this point. Even now, I'm at like 28 or something. Like, uh, yeah, in game, I'm at 28 or 29 hours. I still haven't been like I'll still haven't seen the the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> like I haven't I've been to that area, but I haven't been to that uh, the E3 area, the the gameplay area we saw last year. I haven't ah. been to that. I haven't been to uh, some other sections which are completely clouded off in the map. So. like this mechanic is just making the end game uh, stuff much more fun to you know explore uh, agreed but, agreed yeah so yeah good game go out and get it uh, uh, just uh, if you if you do try and get the ps4 version maybe or if you just like the case get the ps5 version and you know that's weird because we, i was really looking forward to get the ps5 version but then i got a launch code and then the steel books and all are also so, uh, sold out right at this point So that's an interesting one. Uh yes, the collectors the special editions which are the steelbook variants are sold out. Um in fact the PS4 version is hard to find right now and it's easier to find the PS5 version than the PS4 version mm-hmm. uh at this point in time. Uh a lot of it has to do with the fact that uh, that uh, essentially the because the PS4 version has a cheaper India price some uh some some retailers who who like to make money on foreign currency arbitrage and hate playing by the rules mm-hmm. are shipping stock to other countries and that's why there's a huge right. uh, scarcity on the ps4 stock in the market right now it has nothing to do with any other reason but that at this mm. juncture at least according to people i speak to in retail but uh, games been selling well it's been doing well uh, the ps5 version is is easier to find and uh, yeah i think it's going to be one of those titles that's just going to be worth picking up through the year like mm-hmm. now now it's finally i can now between this and uh, ratchet and clank rift apart it's very easy for me to tell anyone who who's buying a ps5 okay these are two titles to start off with yeah you know it's going to be one of those games that'll do well through the generation and it's really fascinating because what's happened is after it's come out there are the inquiries for ps5s have increased mm-hmm. everywhere So there's a lot more people who want to buy a PS5 now because the game is out. They have a PS4. They right. they bought the game on PS4, but they're like no, they want to play it on PS5 too. So we're seeing a lot of that behavior too. So yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. Yeah, and uh just off topic a little bit, uh but talking about sold out games, we just saw Elden Ring got sold out across the country. I was trying to get a physical copy. Uh I waited till the last day, like just the day before release and then it was sold out everywhere. Uh, it is the ps5 versions where the ps4 you could still buy uh, uh, buy at a couple of places i don't know what the situation is right now 
so it's an interesting one it's an interesting one gray market has come in with the clutch because uh places like mcube and m2 mx2 have been selling uh, the launch edition which basically comes with a patch art cards a bunch of things and those are easily available uh in fact right now if you need to pick it up both both sites should have it even if you even local offline stores are getting stock in from uh, either smuggled in or parallel imports uh they're getting it in and the pricing is pretty fair Mm-hmm. uh the launch edition which includes all these freebies goes for around 4599 which is not bad mm-hmm. uh i i was lucky because i pre-ordered a week before launch so before so the thing is the moment reviews hit and they were sitting on 97 on metacritic within <laughs> an hour most places sold out yeah uh whatever whatever you're seeing right now on sites is gray market stock or parallel imports which i think is necessary because from what i have been told uh, and take this with a grain of salt because i haven't been able to verify this uh the next official restock of official stock of elden ring is only going to come between the 10th and 15th of march so in the interim in the interim whoever is able to import and sell is going to make a killing yeah i was surprised because i, I just know that yeah this is the whole review effect because I mean, I know Souls games. Uh, I wouldn't have expected a Souls game to to like go out of stock that fast. Uh, but I guess the reviews had a big uh, big thing to play there also. Uh, like even if even if the reviews were fine, I don't know if it would have sold out as fast as it did, or was it a case of low quantities? It's in my opinion, it's a case of low quantities because mm. from what I know, Neo Two. Neo 2's launch quantity in India was roughly 2000 units and from what I know Elden Ring was I think 1750 around mm-hmm. between PS4 and PS5 so it was like 1500 1750 in that range lower than Neo 2 essentially right and uh, it's a question of low quantity um and I mean come on right at the end of the day Bandai Namco knows how the quality of their game yeah they would have given feelers out saying hey man this is going to look good are you sure you want to stick with your quantity being so low and uh, everyone was asleep at the wheel because until last week most retailers i talked to were asking me what elden ring was <laughs> so and I, yeah they dropped and i bring this up because the timing of this is so uh, like funny with horizon because the same kind of the same thing happened with uh, not sales wise but in terms of the online discourse where right now almost nobody is talking about horizon like suddenly the whole discourse has shifted to elden ring and it came out what just like a week after horizon or a couple of weeks uh i think yeah <laughs> that's that's an interesting one right yeah. where the quote and quote online discourse is yeah. going it's a it's an indicator of popularity i, I agree with you but mm. here's the thing right uh my suspicion and this is purely speculative uh there is no proof to back off what i'm about to say okay is that my suspicion is in a couple of weeks you will find a lot of copies of elden ring Hmm. in used mark on sale used yeah and i say this because uh my gut feeling again nothing backed on there's no re- there's no actual data to back this up but my gut feeling tells me a large chunk of people who have bought elden ring have bought it only on the basis of seeing that nice shiny 10 on mm-hmm. 10 on ign and that nice shiny metacritic of 97 yeah and i don't know what they've got themselves into <laughs> and the moment they play this there will be tears and yeah. they will just resell that is what's going yeah, to happen yeah i mean happen. that's what i'm also guessing that like game loot is going to be filled with pre-owned copies not just game <laughs> loot game loot console nation yeah. cex it's going to happen because right now everyone's operating on the hype yeah. retailers bring it in because there is demand 
you know they're doing the gray because there's demand they're doing parallel because there's demand bandai namco's reaction to it will only be in two weeks mm-hmm. by that time how much of a demand is there god knows uh and that's the dangers of you know trying to plot everything around the discourse because while the discourse might be around elden ring mm-hmm. what people are actually buying and playing will be forbidden west if i right. if i think about it or even gran turismo 7 when that's out mm-hmm. so i do believe that uh, that's where the challenge lies uh and i think it's going to be a fun one to see i just think that look if you weren't able to get it at launch don't stress out it'll be available soon enough right it's already available now so you know don't let uh don't don't fall prey to fomo that's yeah, right right say. yeah i mean that's one thing i think some of some of our friends on twitter were also talking about that uh, the, because they missed out on the source boat before and elden ring is also kind of trying to get a larger audience with the open world uh, even though it's keeping like from what i've played i've only played like uh, around 3 or 4 hours and it's still very much a dark souls game uh, like the, what they're doing with it is uh, i i beat one boss outside of the tutorial boss i, I was really happy i was really happy with my accomplishment <laughs> to me i've beaten the game at that point so let's see how that does oh yeah it's going to be a fun one to see so yeah Okay then thanks thanks for coming in thanks for discussing Horizon Forbidden West we both love the game and we would recommend you to check it out if you haven't yet go ahead play it it's a huge game and uh, do let us know your thoughts on twitter i am at dathrahul on twitter rishi alwani is at rishi alwani on twitter and no i'm actually at dathrahul on twitter right <laughs> everyone follow rahul he is good people <laughs> oh yeah i read rishi rishi has hacked my account yeah let us know your experiences with the game because we'd love to hear that we've been seeing a lot of photo mode shots from horizon and it's always great to see that because my god that game is really beautiful agreed yeah okay then so thank you rishi thank you to you and thank you for the audience for tuning in and we'll see you in the next one whenever that is see ya